When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. I had to go about it, write it out, and find it myself. And there's some stories I can tell you. This is the final word. It's not the World Cup Daily. It's just the final word. Uh, Adam Collins and Jeff Lemon. This is the chilled out, ratcho, relaxo version of our podcast that you might have been familiar with over the last six seasons. Over the last 28 days, I think it's been, we've been crashing through episodes in, well, somewhere between 15 and 20 minutes. But we get the chance, like we did last week, Jeff, to just take the foot off the pedal a wee bit and have a a longer conversation. Isn't it nice to be talking so much more slowly than usual? This is the final word. <laughs> I, I've been having some Twitter correspondence from uh, th- from Thilo Fob. I hope I'm pronouncing your name right. Who says he usually listens? Uh, he's one of those people who listens at like 1.4 times speed and yep. he said listening to the daily at 1.4 has been one of the funniest experiences <laughs> of his life particularly the bit where i do the um the, the superannuation disclaimer at like triple speed anyway so yeah um they've been having some fun out there with that you can probably hear in the background i think a four's just been struck by frat coley we're, we're at the back of old trafford where we're currently watching india play the west indies we've just taken a moment to record this introduction to an interview that Thanks ever so much to our dear old friends at Kookaburra Cricket. They've lined up for us with Joss Butler, England's vice-captain and wicket-keeper. We got about 20 minutes with him the day before Australia-England. It was brilliant of both Kookaburra and England Cricket to line that up for us. Uh, We could have spent hours with him, but we're ever so grateful to have got 20 minutes with one of the more interesting guys in world cricket. Yeah, and we wanted to talk to him particularly because we... We'd, we'd paired him up, the sort of Glenn Maxwell, Joss Butler. Um, we may have talked about Glenn Maxwell too much to Joss Butler, perhaps, on hindsight. Um, he was like, yeah, okay, he's quite good at cricket, but why do you keep asking me about him? But nonetheless, we, we thought the way they go about things is is related. They are related, even if they don't know it. They're doing similar things, perhaps, in, in other parts of the world, you know, like, like in the Middle Ages where somebody's working on some great scientific discovery while, unbeknownst to them, another mind is, is churning away at the same idea. There's something in the air. There's something in the zeitgeist. That's that's linking these these geniuses of their art. Yeah, the arms race to build the atom bomb in 1944, <laughs> or something like that, in T20 cricket with these two blokes. So we had Josh Butler. Due to the fact that we had about 20 odd minutes with him, we thought we'd uh, also interrogate an expert about Josh Butler. That's George DeBell, the senior correspondent from ESPN Crick Info, uh, a Somerset loyalist. So of mm-hmm. course he followed Josh Butler's career early on. Subsequently moved to Lancashire, um, but it doesn't mean that George has taken any less interest. Call, call George Dobell, the expert on Joss Butler. Uh, yeah, he, he knows a lot about Somerset. He knows a lot about a lot of things and, and always has a, a slightly alternative view on things as well. So he's often the best person to ask questions, because, to ask questions of, I suppose, grammatically, because you don't get the standard answer necessarily you you're made to think about your preconceptions a bit more yeah that's right i, I think i after we finished the, the the recorder chat i said Gee, you're so contrary george but it's not that he's contrary it's just that he views things from different angles that we don't perhaps consider mm. when when interrogating uh different questions he's been in this caper for a really long time he's got a really rich background outside of cricket as well george so he brings that sensibility to it and we're going to do a, a little bit of chat at the back of the show we'll, we've got some nerd pledge stuff to attend to and uh, thanks to everyone who's Signed up on the Patreon. We're on 193. Our next target was 201 in honour of Jason Gillespie. So if uh, if eight more people want to get involved, then suddenly I have to do a whole lot of more work in terms of <laughs> cutting together our video and audio outtakes over the last few years. Indeed, plenty more on that, of course, if you want to be involved. Patreon.com forward slash the final web. We'll discuss that after this conversation with Joss Butler, who was so kind to join us on behalf of Kookaburra Cricket in the Harris Gardens at Lords.
Jeff, 1932 was the summer of Bodyline, and the Australians needed courage to face Harold Larwood. And we're still talking about it 80-whatever <laughs> years later. We're not mad. We're really not mad. We've never been mad. Don't know what it's like to be mad. No, don't have a chip on our shoulder on about it at all. It's fine. It's fine. It's fine. Uh, that same year, another young Australian showed courage by mortgaging his home during the Great Depression to start a property company, which must have been quite the ballsy move. Um, yeah, I mean, initially I was like, uh, meh, about that line, and then I thought, actually, that is kind of terrifying. Um, <laughs> probably worse than playing cricket. <laughs> Albert Victor Jennings was his name. He wanted to provide affordable and quality housing in areas where people actually wanted to live. AV Jennings, the company that bears his name, is still doing that today. It's very much a name of the times, isn't it? You wouldn't you wouldn't meet a lot of Albert Victors kicking around. Actually, you might. Maybe, it, maybe it's like due for a hipster resurgence and... Be. I was going to say, I reckon there's plenty of uh, there's plenty of young boys out there, or maybe young girls for that matter, called Albert Victor. Uh, I, I know an I, I know a young Albie, uh, so maybe these names are coming back into fashion. Av Jennings is certainly in fashion, and that's why they're one of the most trusted names in Australian housing. Oh, what a segue! <laughs> so smooth, <laughs> seamless. He's like butter. <laughs> so go to avjennings.com.au. Go there now and check them out for yourself. I mean, if you need a house, probably don't go there if you don't need a house. Like if you're sweet but for even houses. If you do. No, if you're sweet for houses, you're probably good. But, but if you need one, have a look. This is the final word with Adam Collins and Jeff Lemon. Today, we are thrilled to welcome a man who's played 234 times for England, where he currently serves as vice-captain and white ball wicketkeeper. In international level, he boasts some remarkable numbers. To pick but a couple before we get into it, he has seven one-day hundreds under 75 balls, including two, the two fastest ever for England. One of those was in 46 deliveries. He's amongst the most exciting cricketers in the world. Of course, it's none other than Kookaburra's own Joss Butler. Thanks so much for joining The Final Word. Great to be here, thank you. He's just like um, politely blushing at this point because he's <laughs> saying nice things about him. Oh, that wasn't all that much. No, it was fine. Uh, to start, we, uh, the last cricketer we had on the show a few weeks ago was Glenn Maxwell, another member of, of the Kookaburra family. And uh, it wasn't long after you made a silly hundred in the West Indies earlier in the year, I can't remember how many balls, probably about 14 balls or something like that, that Kookaburra merged your two faces on their social media platforms and, uh, and, and you get compared a lot. I mean, is that... Um, so it's appropriate that we're talking to you, but do you sort of feel as though you and Glenn have a lot in common? Uh, to an extent, I guess. I think, um, you know, from watching him back, I think we, you know, we look to both try and take the game on and, and be aggressive. I think we both um, enjoy trying to um, invent shots as well at yeah. times. I think I watch him back and I think he's quite an inventive player. I think he's, he's quite a unique player. Um, I think he's very much has his own style I think uh, of the way he sees the game and the way he plays the game and I think I do too I think I have my own sort of as we all do uh, intricacies but especially I think the two of us like to try and hit the ball hard and, and try some different shots he just made the 100 in the T20 in India and won a game there and, and Joss was the 150 off 70 balls or whatever it was oh that it, it, came, <laughs> it came together we decided the portmanteau player is Gloss Batwell <laughs> if we put the two of you together which is it's the perfect batsman's name yeah have a great name the surname goes well doesn't it especially so, um, but yeah, I think any time you, you have those performances, I think what's you know for me as a fan of the game is that unfortunately he's an Australian, but when he's on fire, he's, he's good to watch. But you are teammates this year, technically. You, you, I mean, I know you won't play a lot for Lancashire, nor will he um, through the next part of the summer, of course, in the middle of the World Cup campaign. But the thought has crossed our minds, and it might have yours as well. What if you two walk out to bat together in a T20 at Old Trafford during the blast? That'd be that'd be pretty cool. Yeah, it would. Yeah, it'd be great fun. Um, you know, obviously, as a, as a signing for Lancashire, is you know ticks all the boxes, doesn't he? He's um, dynamite with the bat. He's a, a great athlete in the field, or you know, create a wicket in the field somehow, and and can bowl some handy offspin. So, as an overseas signing, is is brilliant for for Lancashire. Um, I know the club's really excited to uh, to get him back. He played a few games earlier in the season as well in in the one day stuff and and some Champo games. So, yeah, if I get the chance to to bat with him at, at Old Trafford, and um, that'd be great. To go backwards, we'll go back to the very start, shall we? So um, your engagement with the sport, I know you played tons of sports, that always gets brought up and how it influences your batting and we'll try not to go too much into that because I think it's been kind of done to death to an extent, but your first memories of playing and picking up a bat and, and watching the sport? Uh, first memories really are sort of just playing on the patio and in the garden at home. Um, I have an um, older brother and sister, so I'd go along and watch my brother playing cricket um, and play on the side of the, the pitch and, and want to be that annoying younger brother who wants to play with yep. his older brother's mates and, and you know you, you can bat last or you 
technique and just field and I was very happy with that um, so uh, but yeah I think they're my really early memories we, me and my brother played a lot in the garden and on the patio like sort of making up our own games or pretending to be a wacko Eunice or whoever it was and um, yeah, I think in early memories as well with the 99 World Cup especially mm. uh, good memories for me I, I went and watched quite a few games um, so it was at that semi-final the great South Africa and Australia oh, game wow. so I was, uh, you know, they're really great memories from my early cricketing days Were you also at the game at Taunton where India made 380 odd? <laughs> yeah I was yeah um, I remember actually I was for some reason I was saying to mum and dad I didn't want to go I was, oh, we can watch it on the TV and then obviously very glad that they did <laughs> take me along Long. Um, but I just remember the crowd was the you know, first thing I noticed, you know, how loud and passionate the fans were. And then we were sat actually that river end and Ganguly just kept smashing them over our heads into the river. It was brilliant to watch. That was an inspiration for you because you've put a lot of balls into the river, uh, particularly in Cardiff. You seem to, <laughs> the cameramen on the gantry up there, only a few matches have been in danger from you. Have you got a set against anyone up there? <laughs> I think that Cardiff, they almost got the pitched the wrong way around don't they it's so short straight and, yeah. and miles square so uh, yeah it's the the obvious place to to try and hit it um, th- that stand isn't very big so it makes them look like big sixes out into the river I love that Wacko Eunice was the if you had to pick the influence who was Joss's childhood influence who was he impersonating on the balcony Wacko Eunice wouldn't have been first to mind <laughs> yeah I just remember those sort of toe crushing Yorkers I always had to bowl as well my brother would always want a bat so I'd have to bowl and I remember just thinking oh, whether it Pakistan were touring England at the time I'm not sure but I just remember clearly the images of Wazi Makram and Waka Yunus bowling awesome Yorkers and thinking that's pretty cool that's how I'll try and get my brother out Another question to go back even further again really a lot of Australian listeners to this might think why Joss because on your Crick Info page it'll say Joseph and might that have to do with the fact that your sister's called Joe and you became Joss as a consequence something like that? Uh, no, I, well I thought that might be the case but that would obviously be even poorer planning for my parents but they <laughs> they um they actually wanted to call me joss um, right. that was the ne- but they wanted me to have a longer name uh, as a as a um yeah birth certificate or whatever it was so yeah joseph was the, the name but yeah they always had had decided on joss it's kind of funny that you and joe root are both joseph but neither of you go by joseph on the cricket field <laughs> yeah uh whatever uh, not too many guys go around with uh, obviously it's joe isn't it yeah, so I'm, yeah, yeah. I'm a bit of a anomaly and uh, not too many josses there are a lot of josephs getting about <laughs> no that's true as well jo- joseph true. burns doesn't usually open for australia <laughs> elzari joseph maybe if you yeah, go for a yeah, last yeah, name way around, yeah. uh 2005 ashes um is a is a point in time that so many of your now teammates and guys you spend a lot of time with uh, talk about as a moment which was hugely inspirational for them getting the chance to watch an amazing series what are your memories of i guess either attending or, or watching that incredible test series yeah amazing memories of that that is the best test series there has ever been and, and I think ever will be. I don't see how it can be, especially in our country, you know, it was on terrestrial TV. I really remember the images of Old Trafford, I think it was, with thousands of people queuing outside, no, no tickets, but just, you know, it was unbelievable to, to think this is cricket, this is what's, um, you know, the great Australian side. It was a, you know, it was really was a who's who of, of amazing cricketers from Australia and, and for England to take them on and, and win um, was awesome. I, you know, clear memories of you know, me playing cricket at days and people will be have the radio on at the side of the game or you know so-and-so's got a wicket or Harmson's bowling well again and you know Triscothic's off to a fly all these you know great memories watching that Edgebaston game just could not believe how you know that, that ending is just unbelievable so I think throughout that series there were just so many moments that always that involved sort of some great great players which I think you really remember them for even more and um, you know, someone like Flintoff and, and Peterson were just two really inspiring guys for, for young cricketers to watch you know the way they took on the Australians and then for you you know you end up playing with some of these characters Triscothic I imagine um, it, it must have been bizarre really suddenly being in that position where they're real people on a cricket field with you yeah absolutely you know marcus sharing a dressing room with him at somerset is you know suddenly this is just unbelievable and i remember that i used to go and watch and he was the the centrally contracted player from england who you know had come back and play for us once a year and you'd see his car arrive and it'd be like oh my god he's he's actually at taunton and and then yeah as you share the dressing room with him and and just you know he loves cricket more than i've met anyone who loves cricket and and just a normal guy and just wants to bat and and play and have so as I really remember my first time I went into the England dressing room so there was Swan, Peterson, Broad um, these guys who you, you sort of build them up to be this you know, 
not human it's you sort of yeah. dehumanize them characters. You, you, exactly yeah and uh, and then you meet them and you just have normal conversations and it's really refreshing to think these guys are just normal blokes who are just exceptionally good at cricket the time you spent as a i guess a school prodigy really wasn't it you were the wisdom school's cricketer in 2010 making any number of hundreds at king's school and that's interesting to me because you start developing these relationships with players in the West of England sides like Liam Dawson, James Vince and others. Um, obviously, you would have played a lot with Jack Leach then. We'll come back to that in a moment with Jack specifically. But was that group of players coming through together who have obviously all gone on to represent England, were you close immediately being the best players in the side? Did you socialise a lot and that kind of thing? Yeah, we did. And I think also in the youth cricket, there was quite a lot of festivals throughout the summer. So like they'd go to Kings, my school would host it and teams would come from wherever and, and everyone would stay on the site for a week so you got to know some of the yeah. guys th- through that as well and then obviously the representative sides and yeah you sort of form these friendships and you just keep bumping into guys you know, you'd play against them each the summer and, and then share dressing rooms and and um, yeah I think got to know guys really well and I think that's one of the, the best things about our dressing room now is there's lots of those relationships with guys who've played a lot of cricket together growing up as I'm sure there are in, in lots of other dressing rooms as well but you know you sort of <clears throat> can escape the the pressures of oh my, we're playing for England whereas you sort of look around and you you sort of might be talking about an under 15s fixture that you were on and you sort of yeah really allows you to sort of feel relaxed and you lose that sort of sense of quite where you are because you're just with your mates playing cricket it feels a bit like that's a huge driver behind the success I mean I mentioned Jack Leach before but uh, when you were playing in a test match together last year and uh, um, caught Butler bowled Leach, you two couldn't have been more excited. It was like a really lovely kind of touching moment. I mean, to imagine that you two would be on the test field together and, and being involved in a wicket. Yeah, absolutely. You know, m- Myself and Jack started playing cricket together sort of nine, ten years old and, and we always just, you know, 2005 Ashes, that was a box set we'd always watch, being like, imagine, God, imagine if we ever did this and stuff. And then to, you know, to play together. And sort of, you do realise those sort of dreams. Of, and it is very, very special to... And I think when you have those sort of relationships with guys and you're great mates with someone, it's when you see them doing so well, and, and as Jack did in Sri Lanka, it's just awesome to see as a mate, to see how well your, your mate is doing. And you're on the, sharing it on the same field. There's a particular joy in sharing something, you know, your, your own success is, might, might even feel self-indulgent, sort of celebrating yourself, but seeing someone you care about, uh, it, it's a lot more special most of the time. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and because you, and you know these guys so well, you know how hard they've worked for, they know, you know, you know the tough moments they've had to go through to, so you sort of know their story, and, whereas if you don't know them so well, you just assume that they've sailed through and, and become an international cricketer, and yeah, when you share those things with with a mate it's brilliant we had a chat to Vic Marks earlier um, you know the the mayor of Somerset and he (laughs) he told us about Dennis Brakewell who was a a mentor of yours Um, Vic had asked him you know do you still get nervous watching Josh Bad and he said oh no 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 I don't I don't watch it live. I watch it later. <laughs> Once I know what's already happened, if he knows you're going to get the 100, then he'll sit back and watch the tape. So it's quite a nice little story. Yeah, Dennis is a great man. I think he had a big influence on, on Michael. Obviously, meeting him at, at Kings. Uh, he was the groundsman. He was the. You know, he obviously played for Somerset with... Um, you know, he used to live with um, Viv Richards and Ian Botham as well. So incredible mm, stories. It's a bit eventful. <laughs> yeah, so, and, and I don't think he lacked sort of the same mindset as they had as well so um no i think yeah so awesome stories that you know hearings that he played in those sort of glory years with somerset as well so i was always really drawn to him and and just a great personality for for life um as much as cricket as well he's a, a great guy and always so accommodating for any cricket stuff and and uh yeah so he's always a a guy i like to you know try and catch up with when i'm back jumping forward to when you start representing England for the first time, the, the under-19s tour, that, that sort of quartet of you, Joe Root, Ben Stokes, James Vince, you're all in the, you know, in the World Cup side right now. It's kind of cool that, again, tapping into Jeff's point, you can sort of share in that experience together, that closeness of the bond. But that one theme from back then was that you suffered from homesickness and you found it hard to be away from home as a younger lad, but now, of course, you, you, you know, you're a globetrotter all, all around the world. What made it hard for you to be away from home as a younger fella? Um, I think just that it was new. You know, I think I, everything was very easy at home. I think um, you know, I lived in some... I, I boarded at school as well, but right. no, my parents were only sort of 40 minutes away, so you knew that you'd go home at weekends or whatever. So um, I sort of, I'd go through times where you know, I think oh, I'd like to be at home or whatever. But uh, I think then you sort of... Once you get over the... You know, 
um, sort of initial comfort side of it and then you start to see the opportunity as well you know, sort yeah. of um, traveling to great places meeting new people having some awesome experiences as I have done especially over the last few years to sort of go and meet incredible people and play in you know different environments and I think that's one of the best challenges of, of cricket is can you travel and play and perform in, in different situations in different um, conditions um, I think that's what all the best players are, are seem capable to do whatever the conditions or the opposition or the wicket and um, they seem to be able to perform and, and to be able to travel the world now and and have that as a you know the playing cricket is the vehicle to do that is yeah. is really fortunate you know when you talk to your mates and in, in the um talk about you know that how much they'd love to travel with their job if they could and, and you suddenly think yeah oh, guys i'm quite lucky to do that of course there's times where it's long and it's a bit longer than you might hope but um yeah, yeah. being able to travel the world and see is, is amazing there are the times i suppose when you're not getting to actually make the most of that travel you know when when the schedule's frantic and you're just going hopping from city to city to play and play and play and you can't actually engage with the place you're in you know it's out there but it's kind of it's, it's still as far away as it would be if you were in london yeah there's certainly times like that um you, know, you come back and your mates are like, oh what's uh, Mumbai like and you're like well I sort of don't really know <laughs> I went to the hotel and then I got on a bus to the game and then we flew out so yeah. I can tell you where to charge your phone in the airport yeah but exactly that's about all but, I uh, so I think that's why it's really important um, when you do get the chance to, to try and experience it if you can um, and try and see things I like to be able to say I've been to somewhere or seen something and, and so when you do get the chance I think and as well that's one of the great things of the IPL you're then sharing a dressing room with local guys who can say oh you know you should try this place you know in which you would never know about if you weren't didn't have that local knowledge or whatever so i think when you do get the opportunity to it's, it's very important to try and enjoy what that country or city has to offer the closeness of your dressing room um is perhaps best embodied by the close friendship of mo and ali and adil rashid there's been reports that you're kind of part of their crew you're part of their and it, it includes the three of you playing a lot of chess together is, is that something that you guys come together and do uh, often or is that a more in Sri Lanka um, yep. we had that one day tour and it just seemed to rain the whole time <laughs> and um, yeah weirdly I, I can't think how we got onto chess but to say that I think it was actually because Mo's a Liverpool fan and apparently Trent Alexander-Arnold who's the right back there is, is brilliant at chess and we were sort of talking about like didn't expect a footballer to be awesome at chess and he was saying uh, Chahal apparently is a great chess player at Bangalore so that's how I think the conversation came and then he said oh I played a lot of chess at school and you think we're like Mo you you didn't play surely you didn't play chess (laughs) and it gets raining loads and the liaison we said oh I wonder if he could find us a chess board and he came back with one and yeah, we just started playing in Sri Lanka, and, and yeah, Mo is very good. So, and, uh, and, and your three of you are pretty good mates. Like the three of you, are, you, you know, spend a lot of time together and socialise and whatnot. Yeah, they certainly spend more time together. They right. let, let me in sometimes. Okay. Um, but uh, <laughs> no, I do enjoy spending time with with them. Um, I think Mo is he's one of the funniest guys I've ever shared a dressing room with. He's great fun <laughs> to be around. Um, the two of them always come up with you know some sort of statement or word that you've you know just making stuff up and stuff so yeah great guys to spend time with you can do a great cricket themed chess kit as well though. you've got ian bishop you've got heather knight you've got shane porn i guess <laughs> perhaps i might just press fast forward quite a long way we're going to skip over the first uh first uh, stanza in the test side and your return to white ball cricket and doing so well in the ipl a couple of years ago to your return the 2018 year the year where it all comes together for you. Here at Lords, where we're recording today, you're back in the test team. Um, it leads the week after. You make an outrageous 80-odd, which sets up a test victory. And there's a lot of emphasis on your bat and the top of the handle, which says, fuck it, which kind of is almost incongruous sitting here now. You're so softly spoken and such a gentle and nice man. And yet, like, wow, this is a bit different here. And, and you spend a lot of time talking through the summer about your attitude and how it evolved. And if you can share with us how perhaps your first time in the test side, where people thought you might be a bit too timid for the rough and tumble of test cricket, differed to this particular journey you're on now where you've had such success. Yeah, I think, well, the, <clears throat> obviously that got caught on camera. That's actually been on my bat for, um, I'd say, probably f- sort of since I first started playing international cricket. I remember Mark Borden, who's still involved with ECB, was a psychologist, we sort of spoke about what is my best mindset when I'm I'm playing at my best, How you know, and, and sort of fuck it was that mindset we sort of came up with you know and um keeping cricket in perspective is something i've always tried to do i know as much as i care and i try my best 
does it really matter that much at the end of the day it, you know it's a shame to say it doesn't but it, it really doesn't you know and you sure um so that f- sort of just helped me sort of deal with certain things and and when i sort of question myself on the field of whether it be should i play this shot or should i attack this bowler um sort of that fuck it sort of generally is when i'm at my best and yeah. i think coming back into the test side you know first of all you know when i first played test cricket it went quite well to start with and then i sort of started to overthink it and and went really quite away from that mindset and got more of the uh, sort of um sort of threats okay how are they going to get me out they're going to do this i need to be careful as opposed to how am i going to score runs right sort of looking from that positive angle as opposed to the negative angle so i was very determined when i came back into into the test fold having you know i was quite nervous in the fact i hadn't really played any red bull cricket for nearly two years um but i was obviously coming off the back of playing the best cricket i've played in in terms of the ipl and, and full of confidence um just take that in why not why why can't i ride the back of that just because yeah. the color of the balls change whether it's red pink white blue that mindset has to transform across all the formats and, and being able to to do that i, I remember first innings I, I got 12 or 14 here nicked off to a white and it's like i could have easily have thought oh people think here we go again like yeah, yeah, yeah. that's yeah typical um this won't last very long um but then in the second innings actually that mindset can also work in a occupying the crease sense i remember amir bowling a spell to me where i was like you know i can i can stay in here as long as i want and trusting my defense and my mindsets and and managed to get 60 odd here of, of about 130 balls so it's like i know i have that other side if i wanted it so i think that mindset thing is, is the biggest thing for me when playing cricket and that's what really stands out watching you bet now is the clarity and the confidence um tell us about you know the anatomy of taking down an attack when you when you're targeting you know who who you're going against what areas you're trying to score that awareness and that deliberateness because that's the area where we think you overlap with glenn maxwell a bit is that making really deliberate decisions about exactly what you're going to do against each player and so on yeah i think that's a real sort of science of of the game sort of trying to work out um certain things there's certain guys i enjoy watching who certainly do that i think Doni is the obvious one to say you know over time chasing targets he is very clear of sort of this is who he's taking down this is what he's going to do and and i think um experience has really helped with me with that um sort of knowing i can do it i've done it before played against these guys you know, and sort of flipping it around as well sort of you know what are they thinking bowling to me you know they're under pressure as well so they've got to perform because they're worried about me getting them uh, and i think you're sort of just going through i mean, i think in one day cricket the scoreboard is so clear it sort of paints a picture of what is required from you right now what do you need to do and you can you know sort of pick that to pieces and in, in, in how does it look to you it might look different to someone else at another end but and then you're just trying to work out on certain days certain bowlers may feel easier to face than another bowler some days I feel like oh, I can only hit the ball on the leg side like my offside game's gone but instead of fighting that as I may have done as a younger player I'd say oh just just go with it just hit every ball through mid wicket if that's where it sort of feels uh, and yeah I think you're just trying to work out your maths you're saying what is the equation who's got overs left um how many am i comfortable taking off the last five overs or or do i need to break the game earlier and you're just sort of putting all that into your computer and, and trying to make the right decision josh butler uh, thank you so much for having a chat with us today uh, we as i said we could probably sit here and talk to you for several hours and it'd be fascinating going through the different ups and downs of your career but 2019 is a world cup year so you're a busy boy it's an ashes year as well so um we hope that you get all the uh, all the excitement and success out of it that you possibly can and thanks for being part of it today for kookaburra no worries thank you Final word, Adam Collins and Jeff Lemon. Thanks again to Joss Butler. And uh, just linking through before we talk to George DeBell, uh, as we said off the top of the show, who is the, the expert in all things Joss. He knows Joss back to front, top to bottom, inside and out, colonoscopies, dental records, the lot. <laughs> George has got it. He's got it all on file. Let's find out what he knows. This is the final word with Adam Collins and Jeff Lemon. And we're pleased, we're thrilled to have ESPN Crick Info, senior correspondent from the UK, George DeBell, with us here. A man who has followed uh, Josh Butler's career, perhaps as close as anyone since he burst onto the scene uh, in the England side in 2013. And before that, with Somerset, perhaps that's where we should start, George. Uh, we left it with Josh when he was just about to enter professional ranks at Somerset. What were your earliest impressions of seeing him play uh, as a young, sort of brash player when he first entered the professional game? Well, I didn't think he was brash. 
Uh, I thought he had... Okay, the thing that struck me first was his ability to drive. He he could uh, drive off the front foot, back of the length balls, along the ground, unusually well. If I'm honest, that was the one thing that struck me. And he still can, obviously, he's got those incredible wrists. Uh, so he could drive balls that other people couldn't. He could play shots that other people couldn't. But he seemed... Um, and, and, and I could still see this a bit. He seemed diffident. Uh, and if I'm honest, he reminded me a little bit of Mark Lathwell, who I don't know if you guys would remember, who, who really... He, he's, he's not remembered as he should be, probably, in that he was prodigiously talented. But he was another Somerset lad who seemed a bit starstruck on the big stage. And I thought there might be a bit of that in Joss. And there clearly isn't, is there? He clearly loves the big stage. Uh, and, and I, I mean, I'm jumping forward a bit here, but there was a moment, uh, I think we were in Bangladesh, when he made a fantastically good point, and it stuck with me, uh, where he was captaining. I think it must have been that tour that Owen Morgan uh, pulled out because of security fears. So uh, Joss yeah. was captaining. We didn't really know what to expect. And there was a, a bit of an altercation, as I remember... Tammy McBall, I think, sort of uh, bumped shoulders with Johnny Bairstow, something like that, no- nothing major. And uh, the England team sort of piled in, and Joss was furious, I mean, rightfully uh, furious, uh, and very much led from the front in a way that surprised us all. I remember someone saying to him something like, uh, that didn't seem you, that, d- that didn't seem like you, you know, you're not that guy. And he said you don't know me <laughs> and he's spot on isn't he <laughs> he's absolutely spot on so he, he 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 seems shy and polite and quiet and he's got that terribly soft voice but actually there's real steel isn't there he is his own mm. guy uh, I, i'll tell you something else that springs to mind off the top of my head he walked on debut i think it was an odi maybe the t20 and i think it was in the uae and i remember him walking and i don't remember many people doing that on debut in modern-day cricket. And again, at that time, I thought he was this diffident sort of, in some ways, typically Somerset player. Um, and, uh, you know, talented, but never going to make it because he doesn't like the, the aggressive world of international cricket, which was complete nonsense. And that stuck with me. You don't know me. It's fascinating, isn't it, that, um, that the way that just a basic impression, a really superficial impression, can sort of hang around a player's neck for life. And, and so much of it, as you say, is just about voice. You know, the fact that he comes into a press conference and, uh, you, you know, listeners would have heard him on the tape just now. He, he's He's got such a gentle voice and such a a softly spoken demeanour that your immediate impression is that, you know, this isn't an aggressive person, this isn't a fighter necessarily. And he's absolutely a fighter in the way that he's playing. So that is really key to this England team, I think, that they decided after a year or so of trying to play like Australia, and I particularly remember the summer of 2014 where they were a very, very hard side to love, you know. They, they, They had meetings about it and they talked about it it just wasn't them, you know? I mean, a couple of them are right, grumpy little gits. Mm. Of course they are, and so they should be, you know, the fast bowlers. Jimmy Anderson, for example, he, he, he is and was quite a grumpy man. Uh, and there's nothing wrong with that, God knows. But most of them aren't. Uh, and, you know, Joe Root trying to be a bit of a tiger on the pitch against Sri Lanka, it just didn't suit him, and it didn't with Joss either. I mean, mm. th- I, I remember doing impressions one day of each of them trying to do Churchillian speeches and it would be kind of you know Joss going yeah yeah we'll, we'll fight them on the beaches yeah 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 no we'll, we'll, we'll be aggressive on the landing fields and you just can't imagine it can you but he's yeah. not anyone else he's him and he's actually got such oh. respect for his own abilities there is a reservoir of self-confidence there isn't there he'd be much more like oh I, I, th- I suppose we could have a nice trip to the <laughs> yeah. beach and, and, and it might be and we might meet some people there and if we did we might discuss how we were going to but actually to he wouldn't would he because he would fight on the beach he'd be right up for it yeah but he wouldn't need yeah. to posture. And, and there was that whole period of uh, England, as I say, aping Australia, which is, is something that England do quite often throughout history. You know, when they do badly, let's play like Australia, because they're very often the, the strongest side. But actually, they were hugely influenced by New Zealand, and McCullum's New Zealand in particular, who, who showed that you could play brilliant cricket and not be a dick. Uh, and I actually think mm. that uh, really spoke to that England side, who were beaten like a 
drum right around Australia and New Zealand in the last World Cup. And they realised that actually they could do something that they felt comfortable with. And if they felt comfortable with, they might, I don't know, there might be a better team spirit. There might be a better sense of unity and shared belief and purpose. And he is absolutely at the centre of that because he doesn't need to posture. He just needs to go and play cricket and be good at it. It's interesting that, I mean, looking at the Joss trajectory, I mean, he's playing at Somerset, as you say, then he moves to Lancashire partially due to the fact that, I guess, Craig Kieswetter was there at the time and there was, was, uh, you know, there's only room for one aggressive wicketkeeper batsman probably in a county setup but nevertheless he makes it to the top level as as was expected and ha- has a, a test to boo not long after that in 2014 at home but pressing fast forward a little bit to the 2015 Ashes he didn't have a great series with the blade and there was a perception that certainly did the rounds in Australian circles that he was too timid for that kind of fare like that perception that you're talking about there seemed to infect the way he was perceived in in the Ashes stoush of that year and it wasn't long before he lost his spot so whilst the white ball revolution was about to kick off he was about to go into the the test match wilderness on the basis of this impression that he he gathered along the way yeah I I think we all thought that And, and to be fair I think the jury's out a little bit still I mean he scored one century in 31 tests I think he's never scored a white ball century at county level I think he's only ever got five, maybe, first-class hundreds or one of those at test level. You know, actually, his run-scoring record is oddly modest for a man of, you know, incredible ability. Uh, And one who's become bizarrely uh, consistent at uh, T20 and ODI level. So uh, there, there are still questions, you know, he's still not... Um, won anything huge this could yet be his World Cup I guess Uh, but it's in danger of passing him by a little bit but yeah I I think it wasn't that he was timid I think it was that he didn't really know how to play Uh, and and because of that he got a bit confused uh, and lost his way so very often we mistake technical deficiencies for some sort of mental deficiency but actually he just wasn't particularly great at playing the moving ball and, and, you know, why would he be? Uh, it, it, it's bloody hard. So I, I don't think our judgments were right there. But to be fair, I think he's still got to go do it. Yeah, and then, I mean, again, sort of moving forward to the next friction point, it's really when Ben Folks uh, leapfrogs him to get into the 2017-18 Ashes touring party. So I remember interviewing Joss the day before that squad was announced in London. I think it was around that... Um, around that. Uh, in fact, it was the day that the Ben Stokes-Alex Hale story broke, come to think of it. Later that evening, we learn about the what went on at Bristol. But in any case, uh, Joss was... Um, at the team hotel and I asked him about whether he would get in the Ashes squad and he said he, he was probably going to end up in the Bangladesh Premier League not at the Brisbane Test match because of uh, you know the, the presence of Ben Folks and of course Ben went on to become the Test keeper um, last year too but at that stage he was considering maybe not quitting Red Bull cricket but he was very much I think it felt to me anyway he was resigned to the fact that he might end up just being one of these white ball guys which wouldn't have necessarily fulfilled him but he felt like that was his trajectory and and until you know that IPL of 2018 Ed Smith changes everything that was the the perception wasn't it that he'd had his chance as a test cricketer uh, it hadn't worked out so well and now he would go on to be a prolific white ball player but probably wouldn't get a chance to play test cricket again absolutely uh, uh, i think he he always said that he had some intention to play some red ball cricket i think it was going to be at the end of the 2018 season i think that's what he was planning on that's right. going back yeah, to Lancashire yeah. and having quite a period of played red ball and we've seen owen morgan do that too and it doesn't seem to do some of those guys any good you know it, you see in some ways it, he he sort of I, I find it quite troubling to like joss in some ways because he does things the exact opposite of the way i'd like him to do things do you know as someone who really loves <laughs> county cricket as someone who who wants the players to uh, respect it and be hugely involved in it uh he doesn't i'm not saying he doesn't respect it but i d- he has proved that you don't have to do it that way and i was very surprised by ed smith's uh selection just because it was so un-english and uh, it, it's been proved i think <laughs> largely right but it was a crossroads moment Look, years ago i remember having a chat i think it was um probably better not say but i think kieran pa- uh, kieran pollard rather was on the verge or certainly thinking of signing for sussex uh, to play championship cricket with a view to maybe becoming a test player which seems unthinkable now doesn't it um but he mm. could have done i think he probably well we'll never know will we but i think he probably was good enough 
uh, and, and it never happened because the opportunities didn't arise and who could blame him? He's had an excellent uh, career, making a fortune, looking after his family, good on him. And I thought Joss would probably go the same way. I always thought he might be able to make it and it actually, in some ways, he may have been selling his talent a wee bit short. But he's managing to combine it and, and that's partly because he's obviously very talented partly because of the finances of the ECB, but also, you know, give Ed Smith some credit where it's due. He thought, you don't need to pay your dues in county cricket for months or years. We're going to select on talent and potential. Uh, we're going to give you a remit of how to play, and that's great. All I would say is that they have done the same thing to four or five people, and I'm not sure you can have four or five people play the same role in the side. But, you know, jo- mm. Ed deserves a lot of credit for Joss's burgeoning career. Yeah, so it's it's Ed who picks him out of that IPL and says that he should come back into the team. But uh, there's also the influence of Shane Warne and the Rajasthan Royals on, I guess, backing Butler, giving him that confidence, making sure that he knew that he was the one who who they were sending out there every time with with full belief that he could play the way he wanted to and and bring things home. And that's what he was able to do in that extraordinary yeah, season. Yeah, I, I wonder, though, uh, uh, if we as journalists sometimes read too much into these, you know, go out there, back yourself... Uh, expressions uh, they sound great and they're easy for us to write but maybe they conceal hours and weeks and months of hard work in nets uh, yeah. you know the, the rigorous stuff mm. that we don't see it actually is harder to write about because yeah. I, I can't remember where the game was but I saw uh, Joss playing for Lancashire in a championship game and honestly he looked hopeless and it's not that long ago and, and he went out there swinging he looked like a drowning man. He was just thrashing around in hope. And at some stage, he has managed to sort of combine the flair with some discipline and uh, patience. And, you know, all the boring stuff that we don't talk about very much. But actually, the test century he made was a rear guard against India. It was a defiant century in a game that uh, England lost so while we mm. know he has that ability, and on test debut, one of his best test innings still, I think he hit 80-odd again against India um, sure. uh, at, in Southampton. And he really did throw the bat around. He, he, you know, he just uh, played by, by talent. But he's better than that now, uh, and he has done it in tricky circumstances. He's had a very good tour of Sri Lanka. I know the scores aren't amazing, but a low-scoring series. He was really terrific in in testing conditions, yeah, it, it said a little bit. It said a little bit until 2018 that every, pretty much every player in the England side had been gonged as one of the wisdom cricketers at some stage, apart from Joss, which kind of spoke to the fact that he had never really dominated the summer. He dominated individual games or maybe a game or two, but that that was the summer, wasn't it? You talk about the Trent Bridge ton yeah. that was in his 23rd Test match, the the Old Trafford century against Australia in a one day where he dragged them from nowhere you know 20 or 30 for four and managed to lead them to the finish line in the final over which might be his best hundred I mean you look at the strike rate that's probably probably his slowest hundred for England but that proved that he had more than one gear and perhaps spoke to the fact that he you know kind of come back to our original theme here that he's made a fairly stern stuff compared to you know the usual perception of guys that can clear the ropes with ease is that they don't have that inner steel but he, he does i completely agree and, and his consistency you know particularly the ipl particularly at that strike rate particularly opening the batting is astonishing i mean he just seemed to come off mm. nearly every time what was it the moment was saying the other day moment said that Dodie said to him Three and ten. If you come off three and ten, you're doing all right. Now, obviously, it's a different position, <laughs> but but I think uh, Joss would be coming off something like eight and ten, uh, which is extraordinary against you know really good quality bowling, opening the batting in the IPL. I mean, he, you know, th- there's a lot gone right there, and um, I think a lot of other players could learn from the way he's done things his own way. But you know that that you know, everyone will know about the top of his bat, the fuck it thing written on the top of his bat. There's clearly a lot more to it than that. He doesn't want to overthink it. He clearly doesn't need to overthink things when he's out there. But it does mask quite a lot of hard work. And I just remember the image of him and Joe Root going into the nets, uh, spraying water, putting down uh, matting so that they could uh, replicate the ball, skidding off it and uh, all sorts of things. You know, there's a lot of hard work and application gone on as well as just a positive attitude and, you know, let's embrace my ability. 
So in terms of that hard work coming into an Ashes series after this World Cup, it seems like this is the real big testing moment for him in terms of can he can he prove that he's got the range? You know, he's he's done it a little bit in Test cricket, but but can he do it in the biggest series under the most scrutiny against the the biggest rival? And it seems like this this is the moment for that test. Yeah, I think it is. I think the World Cup as well, uh, but absolutely the Ashes. And I think there are a couple of things that will he'll be tested. We, look, we know that Australia if in doubt, will test every batsman with the short ball. And I think he might have a, I, oh, I yeah. think he might have a couple of questions to answer there. Oh, d- uh, he, he is obviously prodigiously talented, but is he more talented than Mark Rabprakash or Graham Hick? I don't know that he is, you know. Uh, I, I mean, they were fantastically talented players who, by the very high standards that those of us who sit in press boxes and spout nonsense <laughs> decide, uh, you know, it, it didn't really make it to some extent, anyway. And what a preposterous thing I've just said. But you know what I mean. They, they didn't average the, the levels we thought they should have done. Uh, and he's got a lot to do there still. Do I think he'll make it? Probably. Uh, am I certain? Absolutely not. I think, I think, honestly, Joss's story is still to be written. And uh, he's a hugely exciting player who is just beginning to fulfil his ability but I still think we are at the beginning. Uh, George DeBell you've been following this journey from the start it's great to get your insights on where you think it's at at perhaps this midway part of the Josh Butler career. Thanks for being part of the final Huge pleasure Jeff, the home and the neighbourhood that you grow up in helps shape the person that you become. I can actually contend that this is true because I'm still afraid of bees and um, really don't like the smell of plasticine. (laughs) Right, so the theory then goes that buying your own home can make you feel different. I suppose it would, partly because you owe somebody a shitload of money. But, um, I mean, you've done this recently. Is that that the case? Do you feel different? I I do feel different, actually. I feel like a proper grown-up after all these years. It's only taken me 34 and a half years to feel like I'm a contributing member to society society and, and that I am so so good eye for me <laughs> so right it's really important to AV Jennings that when you buy your land or home that you feel like you belong they don't just divide land into blocks they design residential communities so that you can connect with others things like walking tracks cycling paths playgrounds and open spaces and that sounds pretty good to me well it's particularly important so that in future years when they do some lunchtime profile on a cricketer about where they started out they can say from humble beginnings or on the open spaces of wherever it is. <laughs> he used to play with a tennis ball and that's why he's so strong through the offside today. Even now, like a couple of years ago, I went to look, I went to seek out the laneway where Neil Harvey and his brothers grew up playing cricket, that cobblestone street in yep. Fitzroy. I can't remember what it was now, but I remember reading about it in Steve Kinane's book about backyard cricket and how it formed the, the careers of so many Australians that went on to play and, uh, and and it still looks just as it did in the 1930s or whatever it was when Neil Harvey was growing up. So I can, I can agree with that as well. Yeah, it probably does. But the yeah. point here is... The point here is go to avjennings.com.au and discover some great places to live. This is the final word with Adam Collins and Jeff Lemon. Thanks again to Josh Butler for being so generous with his time. Thanks to Kookaburra Cricket for lining it up. And, of course, thanks to AV Jennings for looking after us on this podcast throughout the course of the World Cup. As we now move into Nerd Pledge, we've received some wonderful feedback to our episode for Nerd Pledge quiz last week with Dan Norcross and suggestions of others that people want us to play along with. Andy Zaltzman came up a couple of times, Jeff, uh, who's another TMS scorer, statistician, uh, a comedian by day. Uh, I saw his festival show at Edinburgh last year, which was uh, had a big emphasis on cricket numbers, so I'm sure that if he took us on, he would take us down. So we'll reach out to Andy and get him at some stage during the summer. We will do our best. Nerd Pledge, of course, is the numbers quiz game played with us by listeners through the website Patron. Patron is a way that you can financially subscribe to the podcast. You can throw in a couple of bucks per episode or per per month or whatever it is that you would like to do. And uh, some people, instead of giving us a round number, they give us a specific number that has a cricket relation that we have to work out. If people give us a round number, like Luke Rinaldi, hello, Luke, we make up a fact about them. Luke Rinaldi was a contributing architect to the Seattle Space Needle Project. <laughs> Did you know that? Pickles his own vegetables on the, on the side and puts them in jars and sells them at the Saturday markets. There you go. He's grounded, he's earthy, but he's still contributing in a larger way. Thank you, Luke. Thanks, uh, Luke. Now, those who like to send in more complex numbers uh, it might be say $3.75 and that might be Brian Lara's 3.75 made against England at Antigua for instance 
Today, we've got a couple a couple of like-minders, a couple of zeitgeist uh, bonds, as we spoke about Ooh, earlier. Jonathan good. Newman and Ben Wagner, or Ben Wagner. I'm not sure which Wagner. way he goes. <laughs> like like the, the New Zealand fast bowler. Right. Neil Wagner. The Wagner. Wagner. Um, yes, the ring cycle is, is it's what Wagner chooses on his washing machine when he's putting the... I'll just pop it on the ring cycle. Um <laughs> 143 is a number that they both came through with. Now, of course, this could mean different things to different people, but it could mean the same things to the same people. I don't know. Does Initially, I thought Ricky Ponting in the World Cup final, but that yeah, was actually 140. No. 140 not out, eight sixes and four yep. fours or whatever it was. I know he struck more sixes and fours by a multiple of two. Uh, 143 else? does belong to someone else who's an Australian batsman who hit a lot of sixes in... Andrew Simons in the 2003 innings. World Cup against South Africa, against Pakistan. Yes. One very good. Out. Very that's good. good from me. We haven't prepared this. Adam's just that's got good that from me. That's very good. I always remember about that night because, of course, the news broke about Shane Warne having to go home. Mm. That was about 24 hours earlier. Yep. And then they, you know, they, they ring the changes. Ian Harvey comes into the side. Yep. Andrew Simons batting at five really stood out. And Australia were, you know, they got off to a decent start. But the, at one stage, I think they, they may have been three for 50 odd yep. uh, when Ricky Ponting perhaps fell. Either way, they had plenty of work to do. In comes Simons and plays what still I think is probably, it's on the podium for the best one-day innings ever played by an Australian and set the tone for that campaign. Yeah. He got the opportunity to play in that World Cup because Ricky Ponting insisted that he play earlier in the Australian summer. On that, I remember the day. It was a it was a blistering hot day at the MCG where Shane Warne ended up busting his shoulder later yep. in the evening. But Simons had got picked for the side and made nine or 43 balls. And he wasn't getting booed by the MCG crowd, but it was pretty close to it. But Ponting backed him in uh, and said, no, no, if, if we're going to a World Cup, we need this match winner in the squad. And he was exactly that at the first time of asking. So Andrew Simons, 2003, 143, not out. There, there's a line from the Australian poet Adam Gibson in a, in a poem where he says, I remember everything. I remember everything. And that really doesn't apply to you a lot of the Sometimes. time. Sometimes. There's also another 143 in one-day cricket that relates to an Australian who hit a lot of sixes. Uh, it's not Dino. That was 145. Uh, another Australian hit a lot of so, sixes. Someone, someone connected to us. In someone some connected to us. It's, uh, S-R oh, Watson. what are again? Which uh, innings was it? The one at Southampton against England. Oh, yeah, yeah. Six sixes yeah, um, yeah. And, and a bunch of fours. I love the fact that we can bring up Watto on the rig during this World Cup. On the Australian, rig. Uh, on the rig. On the rig. What a rig. Because one day, by the way, someone will get to the bottom of why he was posing on the Lord's balcony in 2015 for the cameras. Yeah. It should be us, really. It should be. We have to. Shane, if you're listening, come on the show. Come on we the need, show. We, need we, to we, we do want to speak to Shane on the show this mm. summer. That's quite serious if you are connected to sr watson please tell he probably had never heard of us but well he may have actually heard of us for the wrong reasons but the point is is that <laughs> when we were calling for his head for the test team uh but um but do, but do tell him that we'll give yeah. him a very uh, very fair hearing it'll be a, it's the flattest track he ever batted on and he batted on some fairly flat ones over the years but the 185 keeps coming up because, because uh, australians keep threatening it and they're not getting and it. they're not getting there so we are on commentary quite often saying well they're only aaron finch is only 44 runs away from breaking the australian record the day that Watto hit 185 not out against yeah. bangladesh 11 sixes and so on and then we're let down right but um, when he didn't hit 185, he hit 143. Uh, and the other one I thought it could be is it's also Steve Smith's first Test 100 at the Oval in 2013 yes, was 143. That's a good one. You Not. were there for that, Jeff. That's one of the only Steve Smith 100s. It might actually be the only Steve Smith Test 100 that I wasn't present for. That and the one at Perth, sorry, the first one at yep. Perth. I think every other one I've been at, which That's is That's why ridiculous. we work cooperatively because I've been at those ones and, and, been, and yeah. you've been at the couple that I've missed. So oh, gosh. Between us, we've seen a lot of cricket. Between us, the spread is there. So so between those three options, hopefully we've got Jonathan Newman and Ben Wagner slash Wagner covered. Thank, Thank you. Thank you to you both. It's very, very kind. Luke Richardson has sent in a 310, $3.10. Richo man. Which, um, and right. immediately I thought, well, it's either a batting number or a cap number. Right. Okay. So if it's going to be, okay, let's just think about this. Like I said to Dan last week, we all watched Line of Duty. We worked through the evidence in front of us. 310 means that it's unlikely to be bowling figures. Mm-hmm. It's likely to be a score or a cap number. Mm-hmm. So, and Jeff already knows what it is, so I can't cheat. But what I do have in front of me is the list of Australian cap numbers, so I'm going to refer to that because it would be someone who probably debuted at some point in the early 80s. We know that because last week we had Trevor Lachlan, who debuted in 1978 with 296. And it is. Okay, this is good. Nice Ashes reference. Terry Alderman Ah. was the 310th Australian man to debut, of course, in the 1981 Ashes series where he ran a mark and took 41 wickets. So it could easily be Terry Alderman on the basis of cap number. Yep. 
Um, I've been saying all winter, really, that I think James Pattinson's going to take an alderman of Ashes wickets mm. this summer if he gets the opportunity. Um, who else have we got? We got well, any? Give me some other for 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 someone who memorises lists of triple hundreds and things <laughs> like that when I'm on trains. John Edridge, <laughs> oh yes, made, made three ten. We we, we keep uh, well, yeah, John Edridge. We, I was talking about him the other day in reference to how if you were sitting in the bottom of the Edridge stand, you couldn't see a scoreboard at Lords. Now you can, but because uh, of the way they set it up uh, for that first game of the World Cup there. Mm. Um, but uh, yes, has the stand named after him at HQ? Has the has the gate named after him at the other side of the river at the yeah, Oval? Yeah, the, the, the rivalry doesn't extend to that. I, I was looking up the um, history of the Edridge Gates because it, it seemed it seemed relevant. Perhaps um, the gates were opened in a short term ceremony at tea time with Edridge introduced by Chairman Richard Thompson before being warmly applauded by a very appreciative crowd of members. Prior to the opening of the gates, the only honour Edridge had received at the ground was one fifth of the popular. Hundred hundreds bar in the pavilion, <laughs> a naming right he shares with Mark Rampercash, Jack Hobbs, Tom Hayward, and Andrew Sandham. And of course, Andy Sandham has had a fair run, Sandy Andam, as I like to think of him, <laughs> on the show before because he made the first ever triple. He did, he uh, did, against, and he got, against the West Indies. In, what in what did we bring him up the other week? He got a run because of something more obscure than that. He got into nerd pledge for something that well, I don't even know how we arrived at him. But no, I can't remember. It, it was to do with it was to do possibly with his first class number of hundreds he yeah. made, possibly which he of made course a, an, an astonishing astonishing slew of hundreds even though he had a relatively modest test record but he's you know he he he, he made that triple hundred and then just basically didn't play test cricket again no dread it's sunny day so i'll meet you at your etrich gates kids and yates are on your side uh right so i also liked this line though um that because edridge had an incredible record etc he deserved further recognition with his fellow opening batsman jack hobbs and alex stewart already honored by gates of their own the creation of a new gate was the perfect opportunity to right a wrong can you imagine lying awake in bed at night going do you never need a fucking gate after me you know <laughs> where is my gate i want to all i never needed was a gate i don't know why he's got that accent but he does um, it reminds me of that scene in the castle when, when they go and go and steal the gates from the rich lawyers I think it is in Turak and bring it back to the Garrigan household <laughs> and there's one more I want to do from William K thank you William thank you William 194 I'm sure you're going to get this in three seconds 194 when the expectations are there it's like when you're Anyway, uh, the, the, um, the, I saw you. I saw in your face you not finishing that. Thought. No, no, no. I shouldn't. I shouldn't finish that thought. Uh, one nine four. Um. Ah, oh, shit. You know you can do this. Hang on. One ninety four. You, you would have spent most of your childhood thinking about one ninety four. Oh, blimey. One ninety four. I've spent most of my childhood thinking about it. It's going to have to be a score made by someone who I loved so it's going to be like Mark Ward no, Dean Jones areas it's the, it's the four minute mile of, of batting it's the four minute mile of batting what are you trying to tell me what am I trying to the, channel here the one that no one could get past the one that nobody could get past the four minute mile of batting 194 the four minute mile of batting not the fastest hundred because that's view not, 56 not balls fastest. not the Slowest hundred because that wouldn't make sense. Because why no. would you be asking about one ninety four? Hundreds on Dubuque doesn't have no. anything to do with that. Just give me one more little bite you're, of the cherry you're, here. You're in the format. You're watching the format right now. That the one day cricket, one ninety four. Say Damwa. There you go. There we go. Oof, that was oh a Christ! Thing. I was. It was. Because that was for, hard for so too. long. For so long. That Forever. Was the score that no one could get past. Absolutely. So don't weigh one ninety four, and he should have made two hundred, and he didn't. That the double hundred in one day cricket was impossible until Tendulkar got one, and then Rohit Sharma started making them for fun. Yeah, that, that's right. I mean, I don't remember what year Anwar got there, but it was in that period of time around Early the ninety nine World Cup yeah. where he just, where he just, he just had an amazing run in fifty over cricket. Of course. Um, in the semi-final of 99 he single-handedly chased down about 270 against New Zealand to end up being quite a convincing win and he was yeah perhaps the, the most daunting opener until the game changed a bit when Gilchrist came along and so on but in that generation before he was a superstar so I'm glad he's uh, entered the the final word nerd pledge mm. hall of sorts and the other footnote to that of course is that um, before it was beaten it was equalled by Charles Coventry of Zimbabwe who made 194 not out against Bangladesh in Bulawayo that's a nice place to leave
nerd pledge this week, I think, Jeff. We just want to give a taste test. We've got quite a few in the bank to work through, but we're going to we make do. sure we give it the full airing next week through the quiz format. But for today, that'll that'll round that out. So thank you again. Read out who they were, Jeff. Who were those who've uh, been added to the, the nerd pledge list this Luke week? Luke Rinaldi, Jonathan Newman, Luke Richardson, Ben Wagner, William Kay. Thank you. And we'll start next time with Edward, Edward Farrow. We've got a few in the bank, so bear with us. Uh, we will get to you eventually. And, and thanks for signing up you can sign up at patron.com slash the final word if you want to be part of things and help support us to keep the podcast going week to week a couple other things I should note that we we do have the merch is going wonderfully we oh, said yes. on last week's show that it started to uh, appear in people's letterboxes because it's shown up in our Twitter feeds well now we're getting a lot of photos of people watching Australia play wearing the, the Maxwell for Australia t-shirt we absolutely love it please keep sending your photos through that's amazing live show London confirmed 12 August other shows working through it but we do have a venue for the Old Trafford show or should I say the Manchester show which is Mike Atherton's Old Cricket Club so hopefully we'll be able to leverage off that to get Mike Atherton to join us that night I haven't quite braced, uh, broached that with the, the former England captain yet but I will at some stage between now and the end of the World Cup Can't have- Mike Can't get on the show well, he, on, he's, he's done plenty of podcasts and uh, he's uh, he's been quite pally with us in the press box so I think we're, we're a decent show of getting him over the line we should also note that we have a website Jeff and that yeah. is new Newly launched, and we'll talk more about that in the next show. I wanted to give that a bit more of an airing, but what is the URL? You can drop into and have a look and see what it looks like at the moment. It is finalwordcricket.com. Nice and simple. Nice and simple. So finalwordcricket.com is where a lot of our work will now be aggregated, not just podcasts, but our written content, the photos we take. That'll start being the hub of all of that as we work our way forward. Uh, I think that's just about the end of our thank yous for the week. I'll just note again once more, Kookaburra, outstanding. We couldn't put the show on without you, uh, but delivering guests like Glenn Maxwell and Joss Butler, just brilliant above and beyond the call thank you to joss for giving us time thanks to danny rubin from camp england for making it possible too thank you ever so much to jay mueller who's been getting up at some ridiculous hour every day to produce the final word world cup daily for us they produced the bad producer productions their 400th podcast this week which is quite the achievement we're probably about a quarter of those and in the last month <laughs> in the last month alone so let's help them push forward towards 500 sooner rather than later and make sure you jump on their website and pick up any number of their other podcasts including my one about the Cricket World Cup of 1999. As if you didn't spend enough time podcasting about cricket with me, he's then like <laughs> seeing other podcasts behind my back. I know, I'm and sorry you're talking that. about wanting to open the relationship because things are getting stale. <laughs> Come on. You've got, got side chicks all over town. And last and last, but certainly not least, AV Jennings for sponsoring the, the weekly show throughout the course of the World Cup and our patron subscribers and friends for being so loyal to us. We're enormously grateful for the feedback you've been giving us on social media through this marathon that is World Cup 2019. Thank you to Jeff. We'll talk to you all again frequently on The Daily Show, but again next week with another interview we have lined up. This is The Final Word with Adam Collins and Jeff Lemon. Yes, and if you want The Daily updates, of course, you can find those in the same feed. The short episodes of The Dailies, the longer ones are the weeklies or weekly issues. I had to go about it.